Well, this morning we have an opportunity to look at God's Word in Matthew chapter 14. So turn there with me. Matthew chapter 14. There is a piece of paper in your bulletin you can use to take some notes. On the video we just watched, Bob made an interesting comment. He said, I play a lot of dark characters. And every time I play these dark characters, it is a reminder that I don't want to become like them. I think it's important for us to understand that dark characters are not born, they're made. And in this story in Matthew 14... Verses 1 through 12, we, we read this title, John Beheaded, and we think it's about John the Baptist, but it's not. It's a story about Herod, who turned dark and ended up killing a prophet of God and misrecognizing the Messiah when he walked the earth. This morning, our goal is to not become dark like Herod, to step into the light. Let me read this, Matthew 14, 1 through 12. At that time, Herod, the Tetrarch, heard the reports about Jesus. And he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, It's not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. And then they went and told Jesus. It's a lot easier to get in sin than get out of sin. It's a lot easier to slide into the darkness than step out into the light. This morning in a room this size, there are several of us, I assume, who are in sin. And it's a culture we live in. It's a darkness we abide with. It's a haunting that hangs over us and We feel it's a lot harder to get out of that darkness than it ever was to step into it. This is the story of Herod. Yesterday, my kids had an opportunity to meet one of the all-time greats, Python Ron. Have you heard of him? (laughs) Python Ron is a snake man. I don't know if you're one of those reptile people. Python Ron is a reptile guy. Uh, They were at this birthday party. Ron was there, and he brought all these black crates, just stacked them up, all these black crates. And we're thinking, what's in the black crates? And I started hearing rumors and whispers of anacondas and things. Whoa. And Python Ron steps out with a hissing cockroach and comes around the corner with this giant tarantula 
brings this giant green anaconda right, and tells stories of these snakes that he has at home that are bigger. One's the size of telephone poles, like, what do you say, 26 inches around or diameter, diameter, 12 feet long, these beasts from around the world. And so someone asked Python Ron, how do you catch an anaconda? How do you catch one of these beasts that's so big and they slither around and they hide in the darkness? And Ron says, oh, it's actually pretty easy. You, just, you dig a pit, put a sheep or a goat or a pig in the pit. You put a grate over the top of the pit that's big enough for an anaconda to go through, but not big enough for a goat to get out of. And then the anaconda slithers out of the jungle, smells from a mile away with its tongue. There's a goat in the distance, slithers into the pit, swallows the animal whole, and then when it tries to get out, it can't because there's a full-sized pig in its stomach. <laughs> See, for the anaconda, it's a lot easier to get into the pit than get out of it. And the same is true with our sin. That's easy to get into sin. I sit on your computer and feel this temptation and you're in sin. And you're talking to someone on the BART train. You think, this is a nice... This is a nice woman I'm sitting next to, and my wife won't care that I'm just I'm having a conversation, and then before you know it, boom, you're, you're in sin. You're having a conversation with your friends, and all of a sudden you start feeling this anger surging you as you're remembering things that have happened, and boom, you're gossiping, or boom, you're in rage against someone, and the words go out of your mouth, but it's like they swallow a pig, and you can't get them back in again. It's easy to slide into sin, and the hard thing is stepping out of it. And that's the story of Herod. Herod is a man who stepped into sin. He's in this relationship with Herodias, who Matthew reminds us is his brother Philip's wife. And John the Baptist comes on the scene and says to Herod, Okay, it's time for you to get out of this. You're in this place that is sinful and dark and the whole world can see it. It's time for you to step out of this sin and get into the light. It's time for you to make things right and make the world right again and to send your wife back to her husband and to find your wife and get back with her. You are in sin and the whole world is watching you, Herod. But for Herod, it was a lot easier to get into the sin than it would be to get out of it. Matthew's gospel gives us the quick play-by-play, but as you read through the other gospels and you read through the historical accounts from guys like Josephus, you see that this was a complicated issue. That Herod, in Mark's account, when he listens to the words of John the Baptist, he hangs on John's every word and he's greatly perplexed. He's wrestling with the reality that he is truly in sin. He sees John as a righteous and a holy man. He respects him, reveres him, and he knows that what John is saying is true. But getting out of his sin is a lot harder than simply wrestling with it. And so when Herod gets pressure from the outside and 
Herodias says, no, 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 no. You've got to silence this John. Herod says, okay. Herodias wants John to, or Herod to kill John the Baptist. Cut off his head. Take him down. Silence him. Once and for all. Let the world know that when you speak against Herod, death comes. But Herod doesn't want to kill John. He's a prophet. He reveres him. But if John keeps speaking out, the people will turn against Herod and ruin his government. And so Herod finds what he feels like is the middle ground and just throws him in prison. Yeah, I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to let him run rampant. I'm going to put him in a hole. <laughs> I'm going to lock the door. I'm going to silence his mouth. I'm not going to kill John, but I'm not going to let him speak either. Maybe if I do this, I'll be fine. Now, the problem with Herod is that his sin was much more than just this simple thing that was happening here with John. It started way earlier. Herod's sin was started at a micro level and turned into this macro level and even bigger as the story goes on. Herod's story starts when he goes on vacation to Rome to visit his brother. And when he's in his brother's house on this holiday, he hits it up with this woman who lives with his brother because she's married to his brother. A romance ensues. Herod starts thinking, I, I really like this girl. There's only a few problems, right? The woman is married to Herod's brother. Herod is married to his own wife back in Israel. And the woman, Herodias, is Herod's cousin. And so it would be complicated to be in a relationship with a woman. And, and yet sometimes when lust gets in our hearts, it convinces us that it's really not that complicated, right? All you got to do is go back to Israel, divorce your wife, send for Herodias, bring her over, and everything will be fine. And so he does it. And all of a sudden, Herod is living in his palace with his wife, sister-in-law, cousin. And her daughter, who is his stepdaughter, niece, second cousin, I guess. So when you look back at that time when Herod was in Rome, it would have been very simple for him to avoid this whole mess with John the Baptist. When that first moment when he's sitting in his brother's house and he's looking across the table at his brother's wife and his heart starts beating faster, if he would have just said no, John the Baptist would not have died a few years later. If he would have done like Joseph and said, I'm out of here, I'm going back to Israel and ran, it would have avoided this whole mess. Even if through the wrestling match and the lust and maybe the adultery that happened in Rome, who knows, coming back to Israel instead of on that long boat ride thinking about how he might divorce his wife and get a new one, if he would have just realized this is crazy and never called Herodias again, he wouldn't have ended up accidentally murdering the forerunner of the Messiah, a prophet of God. Sin often starts as a little seed, and it, and it grows and gets more complicated. Man, this morning, some of you are sitting here, and you're thinking back to how your sin started. 
There's a woman in the next cubicle at work, and it's just, it's just lunch. Or you're sitting next to your wife today, and she has no idea that you're with another woman this week. You wonder, does she know? Does she have my password? You can't tell her now. It's been so long. You wish you could go back to that moment when it started and said no. Some of you are thinking about relationships that are broken. And children that have wandered from you and are alienated because you got mad and your rage caused you to say things that you can't take back. And if you just would have never said it. Maybe you would talk to your kid this year. But now it's, it's more complicated. Sin starts really simple and gets really complicated really fast. And a lot of times we look at sin like it's an event. It's a choice. It's something bad that we've done. So we talk about our kids, oh, they're making bad choices right now. And, and sin is a lot of bad choices, and sin is events, and sin is things, and sin is attitudes, sin is all that. But above and beyond all that, what we see in this story and what we see when we truly look at life in reality is that sin is a culture that we live in. There's something that happens when we move from living an upright life and we step into the darkness and start pursuing a sinful path is it's not just that action that's bad, but everything about our lives is bathed in the cloak of darkness of the sin in which we walk. You notice that? If you've ever been in a season where you are rebelling against the Lord, where you are far from God, when it, maybe it was years ago, you can remember that it wasn't just that event that was sinful, it affected everything. It affects your relationships with the people who aren't in sin because you're always hiding and wondering and covering up. It affects your thought life because as you're at work, you're thinking about how you're going to connect the dots throughout your week. It affects every aspect of your life. You come to church and you pretend that you're escaping it, but you know you really can because it's in the back of your heart the whole time. You want to connect with God, but you don't feel adequate. It affects everything. It starts destroying you like a cancer from the inside out. It's a culture more than a choice. Ironically, John the Baptist's ministry in this world was a ministry of repentance. It's funny that in Matthew 14, it's probably not irony or funny, it's probably the providence of God, that in Matthew 14, what we see is a man who lives in a culture of darkness coming at odds with a man who lives in a culture of repentance. John the Baptist comes on the scene early on before Jesus and pronounces, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Thousands of people would come out to the Jordan River to hear John the Baptist call them to repentance. They'd repent of their sins. They'd be washed clean in the river. They'd come out and a new life would emerge on the other side. It was the hallmark of John the Baptist. Repent, repent, repent. And so many people's lives were changing that even Herod looked at John with awe and reverence. This is a holy man doing holy things in this world. This is wonderful. Until the word repent comes to Herod. Well, that's different. 
Herod's situation is more complicated than other people's situations. Isn't it funny that when we think about the repentance happening in other people's lives, it looks like such a beautiful, transformational thing. But when we hear the word repent in a vacuum, or when it comes at us in our own lives, it's a complicated, ugly, hateful thing. The problem is when you live in a culture of sin, repentance is the enemy. And if sin is not just a thing, but it's a living and active entity in you, your flesh and the devil and the world are focusing on you and trying to tear your life apart, all that you want, all that the enemy wants, all the world wants is for you to stay in your sin where it can devour you. The word repentance is the cure, but it sounds like the enemy. John says, repent to Herod. and Herod says, no. Now, if you're in sin today, repentance is your antidote. You might know that right now. But it seems so complicated. The problem with the culture of sin that Herod lived in and the culture of sin that we live in is that it doesn't stop. It never relents. It doesn't stop devouring us. Some of you went, stepped into something terrible 20 years ago, five years ago, two years ago, and now you're out of it, right? You called it off. You walked away. You went back to life, but you never confessed. You never repented. You never told anyone what you did, and you know that it's still eating you alive even though you haven't done it in 20 years. Until repentance pulls the cancer from us, it just, it's not really in remission. It keeps eating and devouring and trying to take us down. Herod lived in this culture of sin, and that's what ultimately caused the downfall. The one thing that Herod didn't want was John the Baptist to die, and that's what ultimately caused John the Baptist to die, was that Herod was a man who was more and more and more steeped in a culture of sin. The story tells us that on Herod's birthday, because Herod was a prideful man, Herod decided to throw a big party for himself. And so he throws himself a party, he invites all of his friends, and Herod was known to be a man who loved to drink, loved to eat, and so he's suffering and loving gluttony, he's struggling but loving alcohol, he's having a great time, and in the midst of his drunkenness, in the midst of his gluttony, in the midst of his pride fest, in the midst of this time when he wants the world to see he's awesome, he thinks of his beautiful niece slash stepdaughter slash second cousin and says she should come out and do some dancing for me and my buddies. So in the debauchery, in the culture of sin Herod's living in, he brings out this little girl, probably 12 years old, 13 years old, not an old enough to make her own decisions. She comes out. Her mother sends her out. And she dances at her creepy uncle's party. He was also her dad and her cousin. (laughs) 
And after she finishes dancing, Herod is so filled with booze and pride and lust for his little niece that he says in front of everyone, I'm going to give you everything. You think of the man who spent thousands at strip clubs because it makes them look so cool to themselves in that moment. What do you want? Up to half my kingdom. 49% of my estate, it's yours. What do you want? I'll give it to you. I got a lot of money, guys. Isn't she beautiful? Isn't she sexy, my little niece? The girl is not old enough to make her own decision, so she goes back to her mom and says, well, what do I do? And her mom whispers in her ear, and she comes back, and she says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter right now. And in that moment, all of the sin culture that Herod's been living in converges. And he's got another choice to make. Like the choice he had when he was in the home at Rome. When he had the choice on the boat back to Israel. Like the choice he had when John the Baptist called him to repent. He has another choice, another simple choice. Do I do the right thing or do I continue walking in my darkness? And he looks around and he's just made an oath in front of his friends and his drunkenness and it's a lot easier to say, oh, of course, honey, than to stop the whole thing. And so he takes it one step further, and then his nightmare comes true. The next thing he knows, God's prophet's head is in his hands on a platter, and he hands it to his niece. That's how sin works. It's a culture. It just starts eating us from every side until it kills us, kills someone else, or causes us to repent and escape it. I read a story this week about a man who his whole life had lived a double life. He had a wife and kids at home, and he had a mistress on the side, and he had done a really good job at hiding this affair for his whole life. He grew old, and he still had this double life going on and never told anyone on his deathbed. He kept his mouth shut. No one found out. He finally passed away, and all his dreams had come true. He had the double life he always wanted. Kid the secret. He did it. What you who are in sin right now wanted, he got it. No one ever found out. Until his kids and grandkids started going through his personal effects to prepare for the funeral and and they said, Grandma, who's this lady? And when did they go on that vacation? Where did these pictures come from? And in that moment, the man who thought he had hid his sin destroyed three generations after his death. If sin doesn't destroy you while you're alive, it will destroy your family after you die. It's going to get you. Will you continue to let it let your life be miserable or will you step into the light? On one hand, we can think that Herod's problems were all over. He finally killed John the Baptist. No one was complaining about his sin anymore. But the first verse of Matthew 14 shows us that John the Baptist continued to haunt Herod even after he killed him. 
Let's read it again. Herod heard the reports about Jesus, not John the Baptist. John was dead already. He heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants in his palace, this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. That's why miraculous powers are at work in him. Herod looked at Jesus, and all he could see was John the Baptist. And he assumed, I killed God's prophet. God raised him from the dead. And look at all these miracles coming out of him. Now, that's a tragedy in and of itself, but I think the biggest tragedy in this is that Herod's sin, the culture that he lived in, didn't only mess up his life, but Herod's sin made it so that he could not recognize Jesus Christ. If you're in sin right now, there's a chance that the reason you're not repenting is because you look at Jesus and all you see is your sin. And you look at Jesus and say, I don't want to follow him. He's going to kill me. I don't want to give my stuff over. Look what he did to my life. Look at what this one has done. And all you see is a reflection of the dirty and muddiness of life that you've walked through. You don't see who he really is. Herod looked at Jesus and he saw the man he murdered. And ironically, a few years later, Herod sat face to face with Jesus Christ and couldn't recognize him, and he sent him off to Pilate to be killed. Our sin doesn't just destroy our life. Our sin makes it so we can't see God correctly. There's a chance today that if you're in sin and you're not repenting, it's because you look at God and you say, I don't want to give my life to him. And this morning, if that's you, you have to trust that the culture of sin that you live in is so dirty and pervasive and terrible that it is sullied everything you look at. You look at your family. You're not looking at them with the right lens. You're looking at Jesus. You don't see him right. You look at the Father. He's not the one who he really is. Your eyes have been muddied and you see everything wrong and you think you're trapped in this cave with no way out. If you're in sin, you've got to trust that Jesus is who he says he is, not who you think he is. Because if you sat down with anyone in this church who has repented and is living a life of holiness and godliness and struggling and repenting all the time, they would tell you, turn to Jesus. He's gracious. He forgives. All he wants to do is wash you clean. He will build you a new life. He will pull you out of this. But you don't believe them, do you? Faith is just trusting something you can't see. The question for all of us this morning, especially those of us who are in sin, is will we continue to live in darkness or will we step into his wonderful light? Repentance is hard. It's humiliating. You got to come before the people around you and say, I've messed all this up. And sometimes they don't forgive you. Sometimes they do. Sometimes you take a long time to get better. Sometimes it's instant. And you have no way of knowing what the dark path will look like or the light path will look like until you start walking on it, but we do know what the darkness looks like, and it's not what you think. 
It destroys you. It at best makes your life ineffective till you die. And at worst destroys you and everyone you love. And for some of you this morning, it's time to repent. Martin Luther said that all of a Christian life is one of repentance. So those of you who are feeling prideful, like, oh, I'm glad that's not me. Hey, that's you too. <laughs> I said this morning that we take, uh, we, we receive the offering, that we worship every week to remind ourselves our lives are in God's hands. The thing that we'll do right now, we do so regularly because we need to remember that we are sinners all the time. This morning, we have an opportunity to partake in the communion meal together. And one of the reasons that Jesus keeps this meal in front of us is he doesn't want us to walk too far away from the cross. He doesn't want us to depart from the place where we came to him and realized that our sin did that. He doesn't want us to depart from the place where we realize that we are in need of his mercy, we are in need of his forgiveness, and his body, his blood alone brings us life. This morning, if you are walking in darkness, you're, maybe you're a Christian, but you are in sin. Maybe you've been walking and you haven't ever become a Christian because of the life you've been living. Today is the day for you to step from darkness to light. To grab these elements, hold them in your hands, to repent of your sin, to confess it to God, and to receive this bread, to receive this cup, and remember in that moment that there is one who paid for your sin. That the one that Herod looked at as John the Baptist, his sin reincarnated, is really the one who would die and resurrect to forgive him if he trusted him. This morning is your time to turn to Jesus. Ask him to forgive your sins and he will. Repentance is simply a change of mind that's so drastic it results in a change of everything. And so as you walk out of the doors this morning and into your life, Go and walk in repentance. Make things right with your spouse. Confess your sin to who you've sinned against. And begin the amazing, beautiful struggle of repentance as you walk out of the fruitless, desperate struggle of a culture of sin.